All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this podcast. I'm Ashley Ducci. And I'm Ashley Toe. I'm Zimran. And I'm Crystal. And today we'll be talking about who is at risk of gambling. We're college students studying health and societies, and we'll be touching on factors related to Philadelphia, race, environment, and socioeconomic status. Of course, there are more categories that influence one's likelihood to gamble, but we hope this podcast serves as a conversation starter for our listeners. So just for some context, in Pennsylvania, the overall sports handle, or how much people bet, has risen from $194 million in 2019 to $462 million in 2020 to $578 million in September of last year, according to LegalSportsReport.com. And many young people who gamble need help. According to 2017 research from Imperial College London, gambling addiction activates the same brain areas as drugs and alcohol. That's a big reason why, in 2013, the American Psychiatric Association reclassified gambling as an addiction rather than as a behavioral control disorder. The National Council on Problem Gambling says people under 35 who wager on sports are five times more at risk for gambling problems than people over 65. Meanwhile, after fighting betting for decades, leagues and teams have tied themselves closely to it to increase their profits. The Sixers have a sponsorship deal with Fox Bet. The Eagles have three sports betting partners. Phillies broadcasts feature in-game odds and various wagers through points bet. And the Phillies pregame shows the hosts discuss whether prop bets could hit. An astounding 75% of college students bet on sports last year, according to the National Council on Problem Gambling. Only 22% of U.S. colleges have a formal policy on gambling, but Villanova and St. Joe, some local colleges, prohibit students from betting on their school's teams, but it's unclear how they enforce it. And yeah, one actually really interesting example that I feel like we have seen personally and very recently is actually from this past February, right? So there was a Super Bowl here in Philly, or not here in Philly, but the Eagles were at the Super Bowl. And I actually saw an interesting ad um, on TikTok. And I also saw some ads like on Hulu and things like that. But I'm going to show the TikTok example right now. They say fortune is fickle. Wrong. I just know what I like. And it ain't settling for three. Because life's a gamble. Name is guarantee. Gamble. Evil. Gunning it for glory. Gamble. Love. Gamble. So let's make it interesting. I put a million bucks in up to five DraftKings sportsbook accounts. Lay it all on tonight's game or kiss it goodbye. Hello, Fortune. So yeah, I think it's really interesting how I saw that ad, like I said, on TikTok, which is an app that is targeted towards like us. Um, and people who like college age and people who are actually, I think it's targeted more towards people who are younger than us, which is really interesting. So that idea of online um, gambling, which is much more accessible for people who are under 21, um, being directly, um, I guess, or people that age being directly exposed to the possibilities of what could happen if you gamble, which I thought was um, very frustrating to see because um, a lot of people were engaging with the ad. Yeah, I also kind of had a little bit of a similar experience. So, you know, recently the Oscars happened and everything everywhere all at once. One seven Oscars, fun fact, slay. Um, but my friend betted Lord knows what on everything everywhere all at once winning best picture. Um, and he got like eight hundred dollars back. So like in total, like that was his net gain. Is that how you, I don't know? I don't know economic terms, but yeah. So even though it turned out well for him, like it's not 
I don't know how much he bets like or anything like that, but it's definitely an example of how prevalent betting is among college-age students. Yeah, and as a college-age student, I've actually engaged in online gambling too. Um, I did place a bet for the Super Bowl, and it was because my dad begged and begged me to because gambling is illegal in California where he is. Um, but it just goes to show how easily accessible it is for people to online gamble as someone who had no idea how to use DraftKings. And it was really easy to just place a bet. Oh, I just wanted to start off this podcast by talking about the environmental risk factors of gambling. So in one study called The Environmental Influences Associated with Gambling in Young Adulthood, by Martins and other authors found that people living in high disadvantaged neighborhoods were 10 times more likely than those living in low disadvantaged neighborhoods to have gambling problems. And 10 times more likely is a big statistic. So what do we think characterizes a high disadvantaged neighborhood? I think one thing that um, I have noticed like throughout like my research um, and just, like the past few years of like honestly ASOC studying, right? Mm -hmm. Is um, the fact that disadvantaged neighborhoods um, when it comes to access to um, adequate food, grocery stores, school systems with enough financial support, um, things like that. They tend to be a lack of funding in those areas um, and more. Um, and just because of the way that America has been structured and the foundation of this country, um, it tends to really um, disproportionately affect um, peers, um, people of color, but specifically the um, Black and um, Latino, and actually also the um, Native um, Indigenous um, <clears throat> populations as well um, in this country, so I've noticed as well. Yeah, I'm glad you bring that up because bringing it back to Philly, like we know that there are severe issues with the public school system here in Philadelphia, lack of funding, lack of knowing where to put the money, um, but also there's a lot of food deserts in certain parts of Philadelphia, um, specifically um, Black and Brown communities. So yeah, this study basically says that high disadvantaged neighborhoods are those that are the subject of racial discrimination, being exposed to neighborhood violence, and also living in poverty, which all promote gambling. Um, in that same study, actually, frequent gamblers and gamblers with just any sort of gambling problem were more likely to live closer to gambling sites, so including video lottery slot machine venues, racetracks, and places that sell lottery tickets. Um, but yeah, what so what really causes these people to enter that slot machine venue or buy that lottery ticket? Well, other studies that I looked at um, talked about delinquency. Um, so basically, according to the article, Problem Gambling and Delinquent Behaviors Among Adolescents, a scoping review published in the Journal of Gambling Studies, there's a strong association between adolescent problem gambling and other delinquent behaviors. Um, you know, because there is that assumption that people engage in financially motivated delinquency, like stealing to, or sorry, to fund their gambling. Um, but we also know in that study that factors such as impulsivity, um, using avoidance as a coping mechanism, um, low parental supervision, and just being around other deviant people, according to the study, are common risk factors for both delinquency and, and gambling. So it's kind of a direction, directionality issue. It's not that delinquency causes gambling or vice versa. Um, it's just more complicated and, and in, um, intertwined. So another question that I wanted to pose to you guys and also the listeners um, is who is at risk of being in an environment with high rates of delinquency as the studies define it? Because, you know, these facts kind of say that being around um, delinquency in a neighborhood increases your likelihood to gamble. 
I think something that really sticks out to me is um, this concept of like avoidance or gambling as a coping mechanism. Because like Crystal mentioned, when I think about what creates, um, you know, a disadvantaged neighborhood, I really think about factors like not having enough food or accessible or affordable food, not necessarily having a safe space outdoors to, you know, go for a run or hang out. Um, and it really makes me think of like, if you're in such a deprived environment that you literally don't have healthy food, you don't have access to affordable food, so you're probably hungry or like eating things that aren't really necessarily feeding your body the nutrients it needs, and you also don't have places to hang out, run around, um, or like escape for a little bit. Like, obviously, you're going to go to these, you know, gambling venues that often find themselves in these environments, um, you know, as because they are the only means you have to avoid or cope with the trauma or excessive, like, injustices that you're experiencing, which is typical of, like, living in such a deprived neighborhood with such structural violence um, and structural just determinants of health that exist in Philly as we all know yeah I'm glad you frame it in that way like using the word deprivation because you know just reading these studies delinquency has such a negative connotation it kind of puts the blame on the people rather than the structural issues I don't know I just don't really like the word delinquent or delinquency um but yeah I just wanted to make the listeners aware of that association and also what Simran was saying um, yeah, going back to um, Simran and Crystal's point of this lack of access that may influence um, gambling patterns, um, an article I read up on called Social Class Differences and the Relationships Between Problem Gambling and Deviant Behavior actually studied how young adults from higher social class backgrounds are more likely to engage in frequent drinking as opposed to gambling as a coping mechanism because they have this opportunity to use um, to use different um, um, resources as a form to cope. Whereas um, there's a stronger association between problem gambling and um, crime for young adults from lower family social backgrounds. Um, yeah, definitely, Ashley, I definitely agree. Um, yeah, as we see, there's such an, like, intersection between socioeconomic status and environment that really defines like well not necessarily defines but influences just your behaviors um, and other similar factors. Talking more about socioeconomic status and its relationship with gambling patterns it isn't as simple as one might think it is that people with low income just want to accumulate wealth although that is sort of an overarching trend in observed gambling patterns among lower socioeconomic classes. Um, apart from one's environment and living norms associated with certain neighborhoods and deviant behaviors, there are other comorbidities associated with gambling. For example, in an article, The Changing Epidemiology of Gambling Disorder and Gambling-Related Harm, Public Health Implications, the author Abbott states that gambling harms and mental health are highly comorbid. I think one also really interesting thing to bring up is the fact that gambling behaviors are really hard to generalize, right? Like, they're often dominated by like behavioral and very individualistic approaches. Um, and so everyone's reason to begin gambling or continue gambling or even like develop a gambling addiction is often very different. And so I feel like that shows in the research, right? There's so many different ways that it can come about and it's really hard to generalize. Yeah, which is why in 
the research I found, I've noticed that a lot of it is based on theories um, and not kind of cause and effect relationships. Um, an article I read explaining class-based lottery play um, titled Why the Poor Play the Lottery explains this theory called the strain theory. Um, the authors, Jen Speckert and Mark Letter, explain lottery gambling through the lens of structural factors that people are faced with in a disadvantaged social position. Um, it assumes that lottery participation serves as this um, compensation for or a release of tension that comes from social inequalities and feelings of deprivation of being in this lower socioeconomic status. Um, individualistic theories kind of reconstruct lottery participation as more of a rational investment for those who lack the means to accumulate substantial wealth rather than as you know, a gamble. Um, people of lower socioeconomic class also often overestimate the low probability of the game and have over op overly optimistic assessments of the chance to win. Um, yeah, and I'm just thinking through these things and maybe, you know, low levels of education and disadvantaged socioeconomic position, um, positions associated with higher states of tension um, that lead to compensatory patterns of behavior like gambling might help explain why this is so for people of a lower socioeconomic class, because they don't have that access to a quality education, which then leads to gambling. It's a whole entire cycle. Um, so yeah, gambling maintains hope for that material financial success and relieves the strain in a socially acceptable way. Um, the marginality theory is another theory I read up on in an article titled Ethnicity and Marginality Effects on Casino Gambling Behavior. Um, author Deepak Chabra explains that gambling harms are substantial and impact marginalized populations disproportionately. Um, research on this theory gives the example of the underutilization of outdoor leisure resources by Black people as a consequence of past economic and social dissemination and segregation practices. Um, because marginalized groups face monetary constraints that restrict their ability to enjoy leisure time or to avoid or to afford costs of transportation or traveling, um, they often use gambling as more of a leisurely activity. I would, I just, this like makes me think of this one girl I tutor um, through Buentes. And basically she talks about how in her neighborhood, so she lives in North Philly, in her neighborhood, there's really like no parks there. And if there's a park, it's more like just a plot with nothing in it you know um and so then I asked her like what do you do for fun and she says not nothing really like she just waits around in her house goes on I don't even know she just talks with her dogs or something so it just really goes to show that these neighborhoods in Philadelphia are like structurally set up to deprive um black and brown communities of that outdoor leisure activity that you were talking about and I can imagine like if you aren't having the opportunity if you don't have the opportunities to um have those outdoor leisure activities that bring in I may be using the wrong language but like bringing in like dopamine serotonin like the honestly basic thing, like hormones that mm -hmm. a lot of people um just humans in general need um in order to enjoy life um I feel like going about other avenues and ways to get those like whether or not it's like addiction gambling things like that I, I could understand why that would be so prominent why right or like why that would occur um, which is really frustrating because it's really a structural issue. Like it's not something that we can do like 
individually like ourselves, which is really unfortunate to hear. Yeah, so I think just to sum everything up, thank you guys all for tuning into today's podcast on college age gambling in Philly. Um, so over the course of the last 15 minutes, we've discussed the alarming rates of gambling among college students and some of the potential negative consequences associated with this behavior. While gambling can be a harmless form of entertainment, it can quickly escalate into a serious addiction that can impact an individual's mental health, relationships, and financial stability. Yeah, and Philadelphia has several gambling opportunities that are easily accessible to college students, including casinos, online betting, and sports gambling. Additionally, the stressors of college life, um, such as academic pressure, financial strains, and social isolation um, can exasperate, exacerbate the risk of gambling addiction. And it's crucial that we raise awareness about the dangers of gambling addiction and work towards providing resources for those struggling with this issue. Education and prevention efforts can help reduce the rates of gambling among college students and promote healthy decision making. So overall, we hope this podcast has shed some light on the severity of college-age gambling in Philly and the importance of taking action to address this crisis. Thank you guys for listening.